Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Tech Your Business Podcasts. Today on the podcast, we'll talk about a topic we've not touched yet, and that's the topic of data visualization. One thing, probably about me and probably about almost everybody, it's easier for us to consume data when it's visual. So like for me, I'm a visual learner. I relate more with pictures than with texts. And I'm sure that's the same thing with a lot of other people. So today to talk to me or to talk with us about this topic is John Schwabish. John Schwabish is an economist. He's a data visualization and presentation skills specialist, and also the founder at PolicyViz. So welcome to the show, John. Thank you, Peter. Good to see you. Good to meet you. Happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you. So tell us about you and um, what you do. Yeah. Um, well, thanks uh, for having me on. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm an economist by training. Um, I have a, a graduate degrees in economics, PhD in economics from Syracuse University. And I spent the early part of my career uh, working in the Congressional Budget Office uh, in Washington, D.C., CBO is the budget arm of the U.S. Congress, so um, I'm sure, like you know, every country, uh, you know, the federal government, you know, they want to propose some policy. It's going to cost some amount of money. CBO in the U.S. is responsible for telling Congress how much that's going to cost, and so that's that's mm. sort of the goal of the organization. And I spent uh, nine years there. I, I spent most of my time working on issues around nutrition policy and immigration policy and social security and, and those sorts of things. Um, and kind of late into my tenure there, I got a little frustrated by what I think probably most of your listeners have the same frustration, which is like things go out and no one pays attention to them or just kind of feel mm. like they disappear. Right. Um, and I kind of felt like we were running into that. Like there was a lot of other organizations and places that seemed to be getting more attention. And so I started thinking about how we might improve just kind of to your point, like people are visual, like even if they, I think even if you're not, if you wouldn't call yourself a visual learner, I think we are all, we are all visual creatures. And so I think we just weren't doing a good job in the, in the visual sense of things. And so I started exploring how to do better and kind of stumbled into this whole field of people thinking harder about making better graphs and charts and dashboards and PowerPoint slides. And there's like a whole world out there. And uh, I started teaching and started writing and started uh, doing some trainings. And so I, I, I left CBO and moved to a, a nonprofit research institution based in DC, which is uh, called the Urban Institute. We do um, research, uh, economic social policy research around a whole wide variety of areas. Um, and there I do, I also, I still do research, uh, mostly in nutrition uh, areas or in the U.S. And then also um, sit in the communications department where I, where I do trainings and I build tools and I just help people make better graphs to get to your point, like for visual learners and for everybody, just make that information easier to find, easier to understand and easier to implement in, in practice. Hmm. Interesting. So what um, inspired you to pick this as your focus? Yeah, this is this is where I spend my time now is just thinking more carefully about how 
everybody really can do a more careful job with how they present their information. I think we're, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think about, you know, think about like the core business environment where people are writing memos, right? I mean, it's a lot of memos, a lot of text, um, a lot of sort of PowerPoint slides that aren't really intended to be presented, but rather to be sort of used as a document. And how can we bring the most important piece of information to the top so that people can see it right away and they can use and act upon it. And so that's where I'm spending my time is thinking about better ways to help people see data and then act upon it. And like my, I'll just say like my experience has often been, particularly when it's like in the, in the private sector business world is analysts know that the, you know, the briefing book or the, the reporting book that they're making for their boss is insufficient because the boss goes to, you know, the manager of some division goes to the manage the page for their division and they find like the number that they've always looked at, but there's this number, you know, on three pages earlier, that's really important. That's getting missed. And so because it's like 40 pages of tables, it's not easily digestible. It's not easy to see. It's not easy to find like this number is really important. This number is doing, we're really doing poorly or we're doing really well mm -hmm. in this sector. And so being able to communicate your, your numbers and your data more clearly and more effectively is where I think there's a lot of power to improve how we actually do our work. We find just you know, in, we make insights, we find discoveries, we help our customer base, we help each other um, by thinking more visually and, and, and communicating that sort of, you know, that better way. All right. So from your experience, what are some tips you have for a business to, like, like you said, and like we all know, having these walls of text and large documents, a lot of times they never get read. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what are some tips you have? for maybe a business presenting their information in a better and easier to consume manner um, visually? Yeah, if I had to boil it down to a few things, um, I would say one is when you are producing a graph or a chart or a diagram, think about telling people what they should learn in the graph. So you think about, we'll just take something easy. We'll just make a bar chart, right? We'll have a dozen bars on this bar chart. Instead of saying, let's take something easy. Let's just say, you know, revenues across our 12 divisions in this quarter. Instead of just making that to title, you know, revenues across 12 divisions in Q4 2023. Instead of making it that descriptive title, tell people what they should learn out of the graph. So you might say, you know, revenues in the, you know, whatever, the African division or the European division, you know, we're, we're up by 43% in Q4 2023, right? You actually tell people what they should learn out of the graph because there is some evidence that people do read titles in the graphs and they read labels in the graphs. And so if they are reading titles, we should just tell people what they're gonna learn. Both things can be true. You can describe what's happening and you can tell people what they should get, particularly in a business environment, right? Particularly in a internal business environment where you are making an argument that we should invest in this product or in this sector or in this, region more, or we should hire more here that, you know, you're making an argument. So make that argument in the graph. And then I think mm. the other thing I would say, you know, before we were to get way down the, the wormhole of different graph types and all this stuff, the other thing I would say is there are a lot of data visualization tools out there. Um, 
and and there's a lot of things that people get excited about when they see data visualizations you know maybe in the in the guardian newspaper or the new york times or the washington post or you know whatever your whatever your newspaper is you see something that's you know animated or it's interactive it's flashy it's really cool you know you can do a lot of things you know i think for most places particularly internal businesses that i've worked with you know it tends to be you know bar charts and line charts and tables lots of tables everybody loves tables right and it's like it's pretty straightforward. So I think for a lot of places get very excited about what they could do, but don't necessarily need to do that. So while JavaScript is kind of the language, the coding language that people use online, you might not actually need a JavaScript programmer to help make your data visualizations or your PowerPoint slides that much better. I mean, I'm a big, I use lots of different tools. I mean, I use uh, Power BI in Microsoft. I use Tableau for dashboarding needs. Um, I do the R programming language if I want to make really nice maps, but I'd say probably like 75, 80% of my work is just done in Excel. Like I just use Excel for most of my stuff because, you know, even though I can, I, you know, I've sort of, I've sort of figured out how to bend the rules of what you can do in Excel. Most of my audience, right. My readers and my colleagues like bar charts and line charts and, you know, some other, you know, scatter plots, bubble charts, that's primarily what I need. And so I, I would just, I would, I would caution folks in any organization, whether it's, you know, private sector or public sector, or whatever, to not over-engineer the solution, right? You don't need to hire a whole team necessarily. You don't need to buy expensive tools uh, necessarily. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the, you know, they're all just tools and whatever works for your solution is the best tool. There's lots of people who will say, you know, never use Excel. Excel makes bad graphs and PowerPoint makes bad slides. They're still just tools, right? And so I would just I just caution folks about sort of over-engineering a solution when maybe Excel or Google Sheets or some other online tool will be sufficient to solve your particular challenges. Hmm. <laughs> There's one um, topic I talked about previously where I said um, that app can be an Excel sheet and that's just... That just takes your second point. Don't over-engineer the solution. Yeah. That's after tell the people what they want to, what they should learn from that graph. And those two points make um, a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So you've been working with um, businesses in um, visualization, telling their story, presenting their numbers and everything. What are some success stories you've had um, over the course of your career? Yeah, that that's a that's a really good question. So the story that I like to tell. Uh, kind of this is at like the very beginning when I realized data visualization can have an impact is I was working at CBO. Um, we were writing one of our big reports that we have to deliver to Congress every year. Um, and, you know, it's always like 150, 175 page report with all the graphs and all the tables. And um, we created uh, an infographic. And, and for those who are familiar with the field of data visualization or that, that word infographic, I think, conjures up a particular image, a particular thing. It's like these long digital things that you kind of yeah. scroll online, right? And um, I had made a bunch of those, and I kind of quickly discovered that I don't think people were really using those either. I think they just, they're just, they're also long and they're tall, and there's a lot to wade through. And so I kind of quickly got to this point where I was making just, you know, basic sheet of paper, single, 
well in the US, eight and a half by eleven. I don't know what it is in the UK. Mm. It's like a eight or whatever. <laughs> like I, I, you know, I can't keep the paper sizes different, right? Um, <laughs> but just that one sheet of paper, and we bubbled up just the most important pieces of information out of that report because what mm. I'm thinking about for that report is we have a hundred fifty page report, fifty page report that staffers might read, might read, analysts might read, you know people in the media might read, but like a member of Congress is pro is not going to read a 150 page report. Like it's just not, <laughs> they've got a lot of demands on their time, a lot of stuff going on They, you know, they're not going to dive into all those details. And so I tried to bubble up kind of the, the key, the most important piece of information. So I built this, this, this infographic. And so like a month later I was in my office and folks were watching a hearing on TV. So this, you know, vote members, people at CBO data analysts like watch these hearings, right? Because this is where you find out what Congress is, is kind of thinking and using. And I'm in my office and, and from the hallway, from people watching, I hear people start to yell like, John, John, come outside. Your infographic is on TV. And I'm like, <laughs> what is going on? And so I go out in the hallway and one of the members of Congress is holding up that infographic and he's like scribbled notes all over it. And that was a moment where I was like, wow, like, you know, it, it's certainly not the case that like that graphic is going to change policy, right? Like that's going to convince yeah. everybody to you know vote one way or, 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 or do, you know, think, maybe think differently. But the whole point is to try to provide this information so that they can make you know, better decisions, you know, whatever direction that might be, but you know, more informed decisions. And, you know, right at the beginning, that was the sort of thing where it was like, wow, this can actually have an impact. And this is, you know, in, in the congressional hearing. So that's one of the early success stories. And so uh, again, I would, I would come back to like this idea of not over-engineering, like a success doesn't have to be like such and such a person saw this graph and they like change the course of the organization. Right. But it helps mm -hmm. inform their decision making where they say, Oh, I didn't know this thing or I didn't realize this, but now it's so much clearer to me. So, you know, I've had a lot of those sort of experiences where they're not as like, I don't know, they're not as, as shiny and like, you know, like in Congress, but a <laughs> lot of conversation with people is like, Oh, I didn't realize that we had this problem until you took it out of the table and you plotted it in this particular way. Cause now I can see that this dot is way over here. And so that's, those are the sorts of like more common things that I have, but that, that first one was really the thing that sort of inspired me and, and kind of keeps me mm. going because that's, you know, that's, that's what I'm trying to do is to, is to help people, you know, get that information and make, make those good decisions. Really true. So one thing um, I, I read that you, a presentation skills um, expert too. And mm -hmm. one thing we've seen over the past uh, few years, especially since the pandemic, is almost everyone is working remote and working hybrid. Yeah. And this means that everyone has to do their presentations remotely. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone. Huh? Yeah. Everyone. So what, everyone. What, yeah. <laughs> so what are some ways that we can win? at presenting remotely because it's really different from standing in front of a projector and clicking and going yeah. and it's a lot different so what are some ways we can yeah. win doing our presentations remotely yeah that's a that's a great question because i also think it, it's the way of the world going forward right like we're gonna be in a hybrid world now forever like i, I mean <laughs> i don't know about i don't know about you but like for me i go back into my physical office once a week 
but there's pretty limited <laughs> numbers of people that are there. So like I go back and I'm on my computer in my office for half the day. So it's kind of, you know, um, yeah, I, I would say, I would say a few things. I would say, I would say one, if you are giving formal presentations, um, you know, if you're just talking to your team or, you know, the folks that you work, work for you or you work for, um, and maybe, you know, you're like, we're, you know, hanging out with t-shirts and hats, like not a, not a big deal. But if you are giving more formal presentations, I would say if you haven't already, uh, upgrade your tech stack as soon as you can. So, mm. <laughs> and I'm sure Peter can send you all the links to all the good microphones that he uses. I mean, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars. Like, you know, I mean, uh, I think my, my, what, 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 so I'm using, what are you using? What's your microphone? That you're using um, um, Audio Technica AT2100. Yeah. That's what I'm using. That's the same <laughs> one. Great microphone. Great, great <laughs> microphone. Okay. So you can, so listeners of this already know like what microphone to get. Like that microphone, I, my microphone, for those who can see on the video, I have, I think we might have the same setup. Like I've got this little pop filter and I've got yeah. a boom on it. Yeah. <laughs> like this whole thing was like a hundred dollars. Right. Um, and so like, you know, you want to try to set up, get a good microphone, get a good, you know, get decent lighting. And all this is, you know, we're bound by certain things, right? Like if you're in, I mean, I have colleagues who like they have during the summertime or, or early on when their kids were at home, like had to do work from the bathroom all day. Like it's not the greatest look, but like that's the world <laughs> that we're in, right? But if you're able, you know, you want to try to not have a window behind you, um, you know, because that light sort of sort of shines through hmm. and then you want to have good sound, right? And so I think those are like the, the bigger things. I think then when it comes to actual, like, what are you going to show people? I mean, I think I, I'm still uh, learning here, right? And I think it's a challenge for all of us. Like, I think my my sort of philosophy when it comes to presenting and showing slides is don't put a lot of stuff on your slides. Hmm. But when you're virtual, it's just so much easier for people. They don't have their camera on and they just move, you know, the Zoom window over to the side. And so they're actually doing work. And so I think for me, when I'm in the Zoom world and the in the virtual world, I'm putting more stuff on the slides, you know, stuff that they have to read. I'm using, trying to use more polls, trying to get them engaged more in the chat window. Um, you know, I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, the culture in different countries and regions and, and um, even within companies can be very different. I mean, I've worked, you know, with some some clients where nobody puts their cameras on. It's just not part of their culture other places, everybody has their camera on. <laughs> so, but, but I think generally I try to probably have a bit more of like exercises and things for people to do in the virtual world, um, than in person where it's just kind of more natural to have a conversation with someone when they're sitting in front of you. Um, so those would be kind of the big things. And then I guess I would, I, one more like smaller thing is, I think it's really easy if you scroll through Instagram or you're on YouTube to find people making slide decks that are just amazing, right? There's animation, mm. and there's things swooping around and they're growing and glowing. And, and, and they look very cool, but keep in mind that oftentimes they don't work well on Zoom or on whatever virtual platform you're using because while that thing is spinning very nicely and smoothly on your machine in front of you, it has to go through the internet to the other person and it usually comes out kind of choppy. And so I try to yeah. avoid all that like swoopiness 
um, in my presentations virtually because it it rarely works out well. So I think at its core, it's it, the same principles apply to good presenting, which is to remember that a presentation and a written document or a written report are just fundamentally different ways that we communicate, right? A conversation versus here's a thing for you to read. They're just fundamentally different. But I think there are some different strategies to use to kind of try to engage people in the virtual setting that we don't necessarily have to do in person because I just think people are more likely or I put it this way, less likely to kind of look down and be working in front of you while you're speaking. But in the virtual world, turn your camera off. The speaker can't see me. It's okay. I'm just going to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those, those are some really, really, really interesting tips and really um, things we can implement to make our presentations, especially on Zoom online, better. So yeah. while I was um, reading your, looking at your profile and everything, I saw you've written um, a couple of books, I think about three, if I'm right. So, four, four, actually. Four, wow. Four. <laughs> I've been busy, man. I've been busy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I really should get some tips for getting a book out because I've not got one. <laughs> just keep, Just keep writing and don't ever look up, right? That's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so tell us about your books. I think our, our audience will be interested in, um, yeah. in that. Yeah. Yeah, so the first the first book is on presentation skills. So that's kind of what we were just talking about. I mean, this was, that was published in 2016, which feels like a lifetime ago, right? With the pandemic in between. So it didn't have a big focus on the Zoom world, but, but basically everything we just kind of talked about, you know, how to make good slides, how to be effective at standing in front of an audience and speaking. So that, that book, Better Presentations, was, was focused on um, that, that skill of presenting better. Um, and then I had two books that came out kind of almost back to back. So I, I edited a volume, you know, kind of took the lead and edited a volume called Elevate the Debate that was, was co-authored with some of my colleagues at the Urban Institute that takes a broader look at communication skills. So there's a chapter on um, um, how to use social media, a chapter on how to write well, how to talk to reporters, how to build a strategy. So sort of a broader approach to communicating. And then my last two books, um, which are on the shelf behind me, because I've got the whole CNN set up here. Um, so Better Data Visualizations came out in uh, the spring of 2021. That is, um, that is my like in-depth look at data visualization. So that book starts with sort of best practices and strategies to create effective graphs. And then the meat of the book is really talking about a whole wide array of graphs and charts and diagrams that maybe you've never heard of before. Uh, and I argue that some of those graphs uh, can be better at um, communicating data because they are objectively just better ways to show the data in some cases. And sometimes they're more engaging, which you know sometimes you just need to grab attention. Um, and then there's uh, the latter section on that book that talks about table design and talks about how to build a, a style guide for your organization so you can make better looking charts and graphs. Mm. Um, and so that book is really like, I kind of view like the the textbook of my my the classes I teach and the workshops I give. So that's sort of like that goes into all the all the detail. And then the most recent book came out in May of this year is Data Visualization in Excel. Um, like I said, I use Excel a lot of the time, and so uh, I wrote a book on how to push the boundaries of Excel. Right. So Excel, mm -hmm. I think is great. 
um, it is limited in the fact that it's a drop and drag click base tool. And so it has this drop down menu of, you know, however many graphs are in there. Um, some of which you should never use, like all the 3D stuff, you should just ignore. Don't, don't, don't make that stuff. Um, but there are ways to, to bend the rules and to push the, the, the sort of boundaries of what the defaults in Excel will let you do. And so the book is really a step-by-step -step guide to doing that. And there are uh, accompanying files that you can grab and download to you know, make your own graphs and they kind of build out templates for you. But the book is a step-by-step -step guide. And I tried to make it so that even if you've never opened Excel before, you can get this book. It'll lead you into the beginnings of what Excel looks like, what it does, mm. some core uh, formulas that I think are important to, to working in Excel, and then creating more than 25 different types of charts that sort of push push Excel beyond what I think it was kind of intended to do. Uh, and so those are the four and uh, that's all I have uh, energy for these days. So I'm, I'm stopping there for now. So, so that's what I've got, yeah. <laughs> mm, That's nice. Uh, yeah. Hopefully you can get them off Amazon. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, Amazon, your favorite uh, your favorite uh, publisher. The, the latest one was published by CRC Press in the UK. So um, yeah, wherever you get your books, you should be able, should be able to get a copy of them. Hmm, nice. All right. So, um, so talking about Excel and tech, what's some um, tech you use in, um, I know you mentioned some things earlier, like Power BI and Co. So what's mm -hmm. some tech you use in managing your business, managing your clients and managing yourself that you really like? Yeah. Um, so it's an interesting question because I've been s sort of um, debating with the change in the social media landscape, how I need to change my business approach. Because I I use or have used Twitter for a lot of my marketing and for my connecting with clients. And since Twitter's fundamentally changing, I think that's gonna to need to change. So I've moved um, my uh, my newsletter over to Substack. Um, so I've been mm. using Substack, Substack now, which, which has been, for me has been great. Um, at the moment, my newsletter is open. It's not it's not behind a paywall. And so that, I think, has been really helpful. And I've been trying to figure out how to do a better job of engaging with, with readers, right? I mean, I think that's why Twitter was so great. You could bring people in. So I think that's, yeah. that's you know, that's been a challenge. And I think things are going to sort of change in, in that way. Um, I've got my own podcast. Um, and so we, we talked about the microphone tech stack. Um, uh, so I have a separate tech stack for that. And I do uh, farm some of the work out to help me. So I have a sound editor and I have a transcription service that I use to, to do all that for the, for the podcast. Um, and then on the kind of design side for marketing, um, for brochures, pamphlets, you know, stuff for the podcast, I use a combination of PowerPoint and Canva. So Canva is hmm. an online design tool. Um, it has, I think it's gotten even better. Uh, and I think it's, I mean, I haven't really started to play with the kind of newer AI features, but um, they've added some newer AI stuff that looks really cool. So I'm going to start to like in, uh, investigate that. Um, okay. So let's see. So we've talked about the podcast. The, my, my website's built on WordPress. So I'm using WordPress, custom WordPress site design. And then let's see. Uh, and then the financials. Um, I use Stripe for my credit card processing, mm. which um is great um it's low cost it's pretty easy to use i'll say their customer service has also been great i was uh my site was attacked by a credit card farm uh last year and so they were really good at helping me sort of resolve that 
Um, so there's a lot, I mean, I mean, you know, this as well, right? Like there's just a lot of, lot of things you need to sort of keep a, keep a small business and like mine's as small as you get, cause it's just me, but to keep a small business rolling, you kind of need to have all of these pieces organized. And I would say for anyone who's, I mean, it doesn't have to be data visualization, but seeking to start like a, their own firm, I think. I would also go back to this idea of not over engineering and not trying sure. to go from like zero to 60, right? Like start, <laughs> you start slowly and you start to learn. Like I'll, I'll go back to my newsletter is a really good example. So I think early on I used um, MailChimp and then my subscriber base got big enough where I had to move to a paid plan, but I didn't really want to pay for it. And so I moved it to Rev. Rev was the Twitter newsletter service, and that was working great for me. Um, and it was free and it was easy to use. And, you know, I still wasn't at the point where I wanted to like start paying. And then Elon Musk takes over Twitter. They shut down <laughs> Rev. And so, okay, so now I moved to Substack, right? And so um, I really started to like, I think the Substack interface is really good. The support is really good. But I, I think that the, the moral of that story is, you might start using a tool that just maybe you grow out of it or it just doesn't work for you, but like, don't let that deter you from trying to grow your business because you will find you just, you might just need to scale up in different ways. Um, and I would say most of these tools that are out there, most of them can solve the problem that you have. Right. So I'll take Stripe as a good example. Like, um, you know, I have a shop on my WordPress site that takes credit cards, but like I have some clients who want to pay by credit card. Well, I don't have like a separate credit card system set up, but Stripe does have, have Stripe has that ability built in. And so it's not hard to sort of build a custom little portal to just take a single credit card payment if that's what you need to do. So I would just say like, and there are obviously a ton of resources out there to learn some of these things, but I would just say like, don't, don't let the the challenges deter you from growing or from trying other things because that's that's sort of how it rolls and then you know eventually you sort of figure out a process and once you figure out that process then you're just kind of kind of rolling but it can take some time uh to get that to get that going especially for you know startups small entrepreneurs you know sole proprietors like me it can take some time to get that stuff going really true all right so you've been um Running policy viz for I believe a decade now. Mm -hmm. So if you were to meet your younger self back in 2013 and you were to give your younger self one piece of advice, what would you tell young John? Ooh, that's a really good question. <laughs> Whew. Well, I'd say um, uh, I would say in about seven years there's going to be a huge pandemic. So <laughs> buy stock and masks. And, um, <laughs> no, um, I, what would I say? That's a really, really good question. Um, I would say probably if, if, if we're just focusing on the business side, let's just focus. Cause I think there's a lot of like, you know, exercise more, right? Like that probably yeah. like, but like on the business side, I think I would say, um, invest more in getting help rather than trying to do it all yourself. Um, which, which, you know, when you're young and you're new and you're starting out, you have cash flow constraints and, you know, you don't want to spend a ton of money, um, <laughs> you know, hiring other people, but it does make your life 
easier. And ultimately the product is better, right? Like instead of editing the audio, just take an easy one. Instead of auditing or editing the audio on your podcast, you just hire someone to do that, right? True. Uh, I've never tried to transcribe my own podcasts because then you have to listen to yourself, which as a fellow <laughs> podcaster, I'm sure you know, is just painful, but like, you know, yeah, right. Like I'm never going to do that, but like hire someone to do the transcription. And um, so I think that's the the big ones. Like, you know, don't, don't be, and don't be afraid to ask people for help. I mean, I have found throughout my career that people are always willing to share the things that they have learned um, and, 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 you know, and, and the, and the good, the good ones, the good people will share their mistakes with you where they have, mm. where they have fallen down. I mean, that's always a good, you know, good sign of a good mentor or a good teacher is they want you to succeed. They want you to surpass them, but they'll help you. They'll, they'll help you learn from their mistakes. And so I think that would be the big thing is, is to, is to branch out and to, um, to let others help a little bit more rather than sort of taking it all, you know, all on myself. Hmm, interesting. All right. So is there anything you'd like to share with our audience? Maybe something I have not asked about, but you feel they would um, find value in knowing? Well, I think there are a lot of ways when they think about visualizing their work. And we've talked about not over-engineering, thinking about some of the tools that they can use. And I would just share a couple of other tools that they might consider. So there are Lots of, uh, you know, tools that you can go out and buy, right? You can pay for, but I'll just share uh, two that I think are really good that are online tools that are primarily free that I would just recommend. So the first one is is called Data Wrapper. Um, it's from a team mm-hmm. out of Germany. Um, they have a, a very uh, robust free version of the tool. It's browser-based, so everything's in the browser. So, you, you know, you wouldn't want to use like proprietary data with it. Um, but you can create some really nice, embeddable, interactive visualizations with, with Data Wrapper. And the other one is called Flourish. Um, Flourish is similar to Data Wrapper in a lot of ways. There's more, more of a focus on animation and, and that sort of thing. And it is wrapped within the Canva ecosystem. Um, but those are two mm. tools that I like that I think people can pick up pretty quickly and pretty easily. Um, and then, again, to think about you can start there and then see where your successes are, where your failures are and, and seek feedback and advice about where you might want to go next. And then you might say, well, we need to have a custom developer. We need to bring in a developer or we need to, you know, we're just going to use Excel, right? Or whatever we're going to use, yeah. but to learn from those those first few things and, and to branch out and try some things and then see, you know, get that feedback and see where you can, where you can go from there. Um, so I think on the on the data visualization front, that's what I would I would recommend is is experimenting and trying. It is a field that is rapidly changing um, and evolving, and so I think uh, we know the value of data. The power of data can help businesses be more successful and be more efficient um, and, and be more profitable. Um, and so, if you want to sort of get into that current, that stream of using data better and more effectively. Um, I think exploring many of the tools that are out there now and seeing what works and what doesn't, and then honing in on a final solution because, you know, there even might not be a final solution, right? Because things are going to continue to evolve, particularly with the advent of of AI now sort of coming into these tools. I think there's going to be more time and need to explore and to be flexible. So that's what I would suggest is a few other tools for people to 
uh, try out and explore as they're, as they're building out their capabilities, either individually or, or as part of their, their teams or groups or, or company. Hmm, data wrapper flourish. So we'll add, add those in the show notes. So Great, yeah. anyone can just yeah, explore. So um, if um, listeners want to reach you, maybe they want to read your books or listen to your podcast or sign up for your newsletter yeah, or learn more about your work with you, how can they reach you? Yeah, so you can always reach me at policyviz.com. It's policyviz.com. That's my main site. Um, they can also uh, reach me on Twitter um, or Instagram or you know any of the socials. So my handle is, is usually Jay Schwabish. was my first initial last name. Um, same thing on Substack, you know, same thing. So my DMs are open. Um, I'm always interested in hearing from other folks doing working in this space uh, and particularly seeing what folks are doing outside the United States because... Um, you know, it, there, there's a lot of interesting uh, diversity going on across the world that, you know, doesn't happen in the U.S., right? Like just hmm. real quick, like in a lot of Asian cultures, like the language is vertical, right? English goes left to right. So how does that change how we read graphs if you're used to reading, you know, Japanese hmm. kanji going vertically? Like that's just an interesting thing that I, you know, I'm not exposed to enough of. So uh, always interested in hearing from folks out from outside the U.S. But uh, yeah, my main site's policyviz.com, and you can find all the contact info uh, on my site. Hmm, amazing. So your site, along with the other links, would be um, added in the show notes. Right. And um, so it, it, listeners can reach you. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for sharing with us on visualizations, giving us those tips, and especially what you sold your younger self trying to seek help earlier. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. And for the audience, thank you so much for being with us on this episode of the Tech Your Business podcast. I'm sure, I hope you've learned one or two things you can implement in your business and um, helping um, getting those charts, those graphs, those numbers, getting them red, actually. <laughs> getting them red from this episode. So till next week when... We we come back with another episode of the Tech Your Business podcast. Don't forget, make your data easier and keep taking your business. Bye for now. <laughs>